Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing the conversation about ministry leadership. Uh, on our podcast, we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership in churches and ministry organizations. We try to sort out some practical and helpful uh, ways that we can approach contemporary problems and uh, find solutions that really work. Now today, I want to talk more personally about a side of ministry leadership that uh, will apply to many of you, but perhaps some of you not quite yet, or uh, maybe uh, not quite now. I want to talk about what it means to parent in the ministry, or to, uh, uh, to be a parent uh, while you're serving in a ministry leadership role. And I'm particularly talking about parenting, uh, you know, children at home, not uh, grandparenting or distance parenting or something like that. But what's it like when you're a young family uh, that's involved in ministry leadership? Particularly today, I want to talk about um, most spe- more specifically what it's like to be involved in ministry leadership in a church setting uh, and parent in that context. So parenting in the ministry, and I'm going to spend two uh, podcasts on this to sort of lay out uh, a foundation and then some uh, steps of action and then maybe some do's and don'ts that might be helpful toward the end of the second podcast. To help you understand my perspective uh, or where I'm coming from, let me talk just a little bit about our family. Um, I have three children, two sons and a daughter, and my daughter is uh, in the middle. Um, My first son was born during my first year of full-time pastoral ministry, and our two other children came along in the next four or five years. Uh, In 1989, when we moved to near Portland, Oregon to plant the church, uh, my children were ages five, two, and six weeks old. And so uh, our children really grew up in the context of our church plant in Portland, Oregon. And then I went to the uh, work at the state convention and then on to the seminary. And when we moved to the seminary, my two youngest children were f- nearly completed, uh, finished with high school. And so, uh, Frank, so most of the time, our children grew up in the context of me serving in the church or then later in the convention in the Northwest. But while I was serving in that role, we remained in the church that I had planted. And so our children uh, grew up in that same context most of their growing up years. So that's a little bit about the the context. Now, the outcomes, I think, are important. Our our family is not a perfect family. I say that again. Our family is by no means a perfect family. Uh, We wouldn't even hold ourselves up as a model family. But we do think we got some things right. Uh, My three children today, adult children, are all actively and vigorously serving the Lord. Uh, Both my sons are uh, employed in secular occupations. Uh, they are uh, making steady progress in their careers. Uh, they're actively engaged in uh, Christian leadership roles and in supporting uh, Christian ministries. They, uh, they are a good, solid Christian layman. And my daughter married a pastor who's now become a church planter, and they are vigorously trying to create a new congregation and working together on that task. So all three of our children grew up in a ministry context. All three of them grew up in a minister's home. All three of them grew up uh, intensely involved in a local church setting. And then as a result of that and in continuation of that, all three of them have, as adults, uh, chosen to be vigorously and actively involved in ministry in one capacity or another. Now, in preparation for this uh, podcast and for other teaching that I've done on this issue, I actually had some conversations with my children and interviewed them and talked to them about what did we do well? What mistakes did we make? 
Um, when you look back over your childhood, what do you remember fondly and what do you wish had been done differently? And so uh, some of what I'm sharing today is from my own perspective, but frankly, a lot of it's been tempered or seasoned by what they had to say to me uh, as a part of this process. So uh, this presentation on parenting in the ministry, a combination effort of both my insights uh, and those that my wife and children contributed to the conversation along the way. So let me begin with this statement. Ministry families are unique, but they are not as unique as you may think. Ministry families are unique, and there are certainly uh, some challenges that are uh, uniquely suited to or uniquely brought about by being in a ministry leadership role. Sometimes, however, I think that ministry leaders, when they say unique, really mean impossible or untenable, and that's simply not the case. It is possible to be involved in ministry leadership and to do a very effective job at parenting and to have a very healthy family. If ministry leadership is toxic to a ministry family, something is being done incorrectly, improperly. Something's out of whack. And so there needs to be a fresh consideration of how to align ministry family and ministry parenting with ministry responsibilities in order to make sure that everyone in the situation is healthy. So ministry families are unique, but they're not as unique as you might think. For example, uh, this means that all things that you teach and preach for other families to do, you should do them as well as a ministry family. What are some examples? Well, most ministry leaders teach their, minist their families in their churches that they should have a family night. At least uh, periodically or once a week, the family should uh, come together for a time of conversation, maybe a meal, maybe some games or activities, but something that causes the family to, uh, to come together and to engage one another in a relational way. Now, this may not happen weekly, but most church leaders teach their church families to do this on a periodic basis. We also teach uh, people to have family devotions, meaning that there's a time when the parents take the lead to read the Bible and pray and talk about how God is at work in the family and allow the children to express themselves about what they believe, uh, what they think the Bible believe, uh, teaches and, and, and the prayer concerns they may have. And then there's a, this shared experience of family devotions. Most ministry leaders teach uh, families that they're strengthened by eating meals together, by turning off the television, putting the phones on silent, uh, coming together around a table and sharing, even if it's a simple meal, uh, a time of eating and conversing and catching up on each other uh, on a daily basis, at least once a day, having a meal together. And then uh, most families, uh, ministry leaders, teach their families to uh, approach each other with a sacrificial attitude, meaning uh, they ask each other, how can I meet the other person's needs? What can I do to serve the other person? And, and that mutual service makes family life uh, meaningful and uh, gives each other the kind of support that's needed to make sure everyone thrives in the family. Well, while we teach others to do these things, it's amazing to me how many ministry leaders don't practice what they preach and teach. So if you're a ministry uh, family, these same things apply to you. You're not unique in this regard. You should have family devotions. That means coming together, reading the Bible, praying, talking about what God is doing in each individual's life or in the family together, and sharing a time of spiritual focus. Now, this took different forms uh, in our family as we moved through the years. Uh, and frankly, when our children were preschoolers, the family devotions were relatively short, 
and we're focused on reading a passage of scripture, saying a quick prayer, and moving on toward bedtime. But then as our children got a little older, we asked them to start reading the scripture for us and to help lead the prayer time. And we allowed them time to talk about concerns they had or issues they wanted us to pray about. And then just being very honest, as they moved into their teenage years, family devotions for us became uh, more sporadic. Um, We had five different people in our family going five different directions, and it was very difficult to come together. But we tried to associate family devotions during those years with mealtimes so that we had at least some touch point on a fairly regular basis of reading the Bible and praying and talking together about what God was doing in our lives and in our family. Um, It's also important to have, um, like I said, meals together and to sacrifice to meet each other's needs and to uh, do things like simply have a family night periodically where the family comes together and invests in building the relationships that make a family strong. So at the beginning point, it is important for us to understand that ministry families are unique, but they're not all that unique. We should be doing the very same things that we teach others to do. And so uh, stop justifying not doing these things by saying that you're too busy involved in ministry or that uh, you know your ministry commitments substitute for some of these issues and, and that your children will gain spiritual direction and focus by being involved in the ministry with you. Uh, get past all that and recognize that you have to do the very same things you teach other families to do. And then another aspect of this issue of uniqueness is that we must recognize that many other professions have special challenges to family life that ministers are not unique in this regard. When I was a, an athlete back a long time ago, we had a phrase that, was, that described uh, what I often see families doing on, or ministry families doing on this issue. Uh, we called it loser's limp. Uh, loser's limp is when you run a race or play a game, and at the end of it, the, the loser starts limping and says, you know, well, I hurt my knee, or, or I've got a pulled muscle, or, you know, this thing in my back's been bothering me. Uh, that wasn't a problem until the, until the loss occurred, and then they had loser's limp, an excuse, if you will. And so sometimes I think ministry families <clears throat> use the fact of being in ministry as a sort of a loser's limp. It's like, well, you know, we, we really can't have family devotions, and we, we really can't have family night, and we, we really can't have meals together, and we really can't do <clears throat> what other families do because... Well, we're a ministry family, and and, and that's just different. Well, in some ways, it is different. I'm going to talk about those later in the podcast. But for right now, we're talking about how other families are also facing unique or individual or specific challenges. And yet, we challenge them to rise above those difficulties and to fulfill their family responsibilities. So what, what are some examples of what I mean? Well, for example, physicians have unique challenges that impact their family. For example, I'm acquainted with a Christian physician who's in a practice with uh, three other doctors. Uh, They happen to be an OBGYN practice, and so they deliver uh, children, and someone has to always be on call. And so they have a rotation worked out where uh, one day, Monday through Thursday, one day a week, each one of them is on 24-hour call, and then every fourth weekend, one of them is on call for the whole weekend. And the children know this. And they understand that during those times of being on call, uh, that their father is simply uh, obligated to work and to perform his professional responsibilities, and that the rest of the practice and all of their patients are depending on him to do that. And they know that on those weekends that he won't be attending their ball games, and he may not be available for long conversations and may not even be home very much. But they understand that that's part of being a physician's family is that you have to manage the on-call aspects of the work. 
Now, that family must still do all the things I've just described in order to build and have a healthy family, but they have to find ways to do it that fit the context of their employment. Another one is military families. I recently had a conversation with a woman who described herself as a Navy wife. Uh, She said, my husband's in the Navy, and we share his mission. His mission is uh, protecting freedom around the world, and he goes on deployments when he's away on on a ship. I tell our children, uh, we're all deployed. Your father's out there defending freedom, and we're here uh, maintaining a, a healthy home in his absence. And she's pretty insistent that the children not email him with every little difficulty or problem that comes up, and that they not project on him uh, issues that they need to be resolving themselves or that they can resolve within the family without his presence, and that they reserve the, the times they do engage him for serious times when they really do need the father to be a part of the conversation. And so military families have to find a way uh, to do the things that are required to build strong families while at the same time accommodating things like long deployments or sending a person away on a ship for months at a time. Uh, Another family kind of family that have unique challenges are school administrators. I'm familiar example with a school principal and he works uh, many evenings. Uh, Ministers think well they're the only ones who have to work nights by making visits or having counseling appointments or dealing with people after they get off their regular job hours but school administrators are the same they have uh, school activities ball games plays productions that they have to be a part of Uh, they have school board meetings and administrative meetings all kinds of work that has to be done uh, that has to be done what we might say after hours or in the evenings so school administrators face the same kind of challenges ministers face in this regard Nurses. Uh, I have a friend who's a, who's a nurse, and uh, she works an erratic schedule where she works uh, 12-hour days for like uh, three days in a row, and then she'll be off four to five days, and then she'll work four days in a row, and then she'll be off another four to five days. And uh, she can't say that because of her erratic schedule, she can't fulfill her responsibilities as a wife and mother. She has to find a way to get that done. Truck drivers. Um, I have a friend who's an over-the-road truck driver. And he has a route that he leaves every Monday morning, comes back Tuesday uh, in the evening. He then leaves again on Wednesday morning and comes back on uh, Thursday evening. He's then home on the weekends because he's been driving long enough. He's built up that kind of seniority. But nevertheless, uh, two nights a week, every week, no matter what, he's going to be gone. And his family knows that. And they have to adjust to that and accommodate that. What I'm trying to say to you as a ministry leader is that Your situation of having a schedule that requires you to work some erratic schedules and work some evenings and be busy most weekends, uh, that's not really all that unique. Most families um, have job challenges that impact how they do family life, and family life has to be accommodated to those job responsibilities. Uh, No nurse or truck driver or military officer, no physician or school administrator can simply say, my job stands in the way of me having a healthy family, and that be justified for any pastor. Every pastor would say, no, you can't think that way. You have to find a way to set margins and boundaries around your work, set margins and boundaries around your family, and then find ways to interface your family schedule with your work schedule that are healthy for everyone involved. Ministry leaders have to do the same thing. What we tell other people to do in their family context, we have to learn to do in ours. Now, so far I've been talking in these contexts about some of the negative aspects of being a unique family, but one of the most positive aspects is that a ministry leader's family, especially a church leader's family, uh, is a great place to strengthen family life because of some of the unique advantages that come with being a ministry family. Now, these come from my children. We, we, we talked about these, and these are some of the ones they came up with. Uh, they said that one is your family gets to go to work with you. 
They said most of their friends, their parents go off to work. They don't really know what they do. They don't really know how they fill their days. Uh, they have no understanding of the pressures, of the difficulties, of the challenges, of the victories, of the successes. Uh, their father and mother uh, spend long hours away from them every week at this place called work, and they don't really know what that is. But ministry leaders' children uh, get to go to work with their parents. They get to see their parents in action. They get to understand the pressures, the challenges, the uh, day-to-day opportunities. Uh, they get to see what their parents do, and they also get to celebrate the joys, the victories, the successes that take place through ministry leadership. Another benefit is a family gets to know the best people on earth. That's Christian people. And you may say, well, I know some Christians that aren't the best people on earth. Well, sure you do. But you also know some that are the salt of the earth, the finest people available to know. You know some people that, have, uh, that are models of, of service and sacrifice and gentleness and character strength, uh, courage. You know those kind of people, and your children get to know them very well. And beyond that, your children get to know uh, ministry leaders who may come to your church to speak or sing or do other things, and they get to know them in a way that other children don't get to. Um, our, our children have uh, good memories of people that they met over the years and, um, and, and were influenced by who were profound, com- profoundly committed Christians or who had tremendous leadership responsibilities, and our children got to know them in a more intimate way than other families. Another way that, ministry, that the uniqueness of ministry families benefits, uh, or uniqueness of ministry leadership benefits ministry families is that your children get to benefit from your flexible work schedule. Now, I'll talk more about this next week, but um, as a ministry leader, you have the time, to, you have the freedom to schedule your work time with some flexibility. Uh, for example, most of the time in my pastoral years, and even now as a seminary president, when I'm going to be working in the evening, I compensate by leaving early in the afternoon so that I can spend the late afternoon with my children or with my wife before I leave again for evening activities. Um, this means that I was able to participate in after-school programs or go to after-school ball games and be a part of things that most fathers were not able to do. I remember many times being the only person, the only father who showed up at an activity. There might be 20 moms and, and me, but I'd get to see the school play or get to see the ball game or get to see the activity that happened right after school because I had a flexible schedule. I could take a block of time in the afternoon to go and do that, knowing that I'd be working that evening in counseling appointments or visitation events. Uh, and I needed to be available in the after, or I could be available in the afternoon, so I did that. Uh, another advantage that's unique to ministry families is that children get to see God at work in very up-close ways. You know, ministry children hear and see more than you may think they do, and they know when people are struggling, when people are hurting. They know when people that are engaging you are also having victory and success, and they get to hear you talk about, even if it's in general terms that protect confidentiality and those kinds of issues, they get to hear you talk in general terms about a marriage that's being saved or a family that's coming together or a person who's placing their faith in Christ or someone who's preparing to be baptized, and your children get to see God at work in very close and personal ways. Uh, these are just some ways that my children were able to identify that, uh, that they benefited from being in, ministry, in a ministry family. So uh, ministry families are unique, but they aren't as unique as we might first think. We share some of the same challenges that many other families and many other occupations have. We must do some of the same things that we challenge those families to do, accommodate our family, uh, excuse me, accommodate our professional responsibilities and find a way to have healthy family activity and healthy family life in that context. And then we get to celebrate some of the things that make ministry families unique and some of the benefits that come to our children uh, by those roles. Now, 
Ministry families uh, also, however, require some special focus in order to be healthy. There are some things that we have to do that perhaps are a little different than other families in order to have really healthy children and really healthy families. So let me give you a couple of these and maybe some applications along the way. First of all, you have to encourage your children to be themselves. Now, what does that mean? Well, here are at least three suggestions. First of all, protect them from the expectations of others. When someone says to one of your children, well, you should do this because you're the pastor's son or you should do this because you're the minister's daughter, uh, step in gently and say to your child, either publicly or privately, you know, I understand what was said to you, but that's really not right. You don't have to do these things because you're a minister's child or a pastor's uh, child. You have to do these things because you're a Christian. And we have to find your Christian responsibility, and that's all. Not your responsibility because you happen to be uh, the child of someone who's in a leadership position. And so you have to protect them from the expectations of others. And people in churches do have expectations of ministry children, and they do project those expectations in sometimes very subtle but sometimes very forward ways. And it's our responsibility as parents to help our children debrief from those comments and to help them understand that while others may try to pressure them, that same pressure is not being mirrored, nor is it originating within the family, that we want them to be themselves and to uh, fulfill their responsibilities as Christian children, not as ministry children. And then second, in terms of encouraging your children to be themselves, you have to help your children learn who they are and maximize the life God intends for them. Now, my oldest son is a very strong leader and a very capable speaker. And so growing up, uh, many people suggested to him that he would make an outstanding pastor. But from his uh, middle teenage years onward, he told me repeatedly, Dad, I pray about this, I consider it, I'm open to it, but I just have no direction or indication from God that he wants me to be in ministry leadership. Um, this continued up into his college years, and while he was in college, a pastor actually approached him and said, we see a lot of gifts in you that would be effectively used in ministry, and we'd like for you to test those gifts and see if God might be calling you. So they actually offered my son a six-month internship, which he accepted because he really wanted to discover, is God calling me? At the end of that internship, he said, Dad, I'm more, I'm more convinced than ever that God is not calling me to ministry leadership, that God wants me to be involved in secular uh, organizations and uh, God wants me to be involved in business leadership, and God wants me to glorify him by serving him in a church, by supporting a pastor I believe in, and by giving financially to extend his work, but I just don't feel like God is really calling me. You know, it was my parental responsibility to help my son find and fulfill God's plan for his life, not find and fulfill my plan for his life, and certainly not find and fulfill the plan that other people, even well-meaning people, might suggest was God's plan for his life. So one way to encourage your children is to help them understand that God has made them uniquely, God has gifted them specifically, and God wants to guide them into a life that's going to be fulfilling for them, and that you can take away all pressure and simply help them to allow that process to unfold. That's another way to encourage your children to be themselves. And then finally, avoid projecting your expectations and desires on your children. Sometimes this is called being a little league parent. I coached little league for many years and saw the best and worst of parents in those situations. 
Uh, the best of parents allow their children to simply play and flourish and enjoy. And the ones that are good at the game and prosper, they encourage them to go on and fulfill whatever potential they have. But the, quote, little league parent is the parent who says, I want to relive my glory days through you. I want to project my desires through you. I want you to be successful, not so that you'll feel good about yourself, but so that I'll feel good about myself. That's projecting expectations on children. We can do the same thing spiritually and the same thing in terms of ministry leadership, saying to our children in plain ways or in subtle ways or in direct ways, I want you to become a ministry leader or I want you to behave a certain way, not because I think it's the right way or because it's what I ultimately think you should do, but it's because it will make me look good. So avoid those kind of projection of expectations. So uh, encourage your children to be themselves. And then second, allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace. Now, here's some suggestions about how we did this that I think were effective. First, Set some minimum church attendance and participation standards that the entire family uh, will uh, abide by and will support. For example, we had a phrase in our family that went like this. When the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. When the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. That meant that our whole church gathered for Bible study on Sunday morning, our whole church gathered for worship services on Sunday morning, and particularly in our church plant in Oregon, our whole church gathered for a once-a-month Sunday night service uh, in which we uh, did things like baptisms and other things that were uh, more suited to the membership of our church as opposed to our Sunday morning services, which were more community-directed. So we had these events, the whole church gathers, the whole family goes, Bible study on Sunday, worship on Sunday morning, worship once a month on Sunday night. Now the rest of our church program and calendar was optional for everyone in our church family. In other words, we wanted people to pick and choose how they participated based on what was being offered by the church or what they felt their needs were or how they needed to grow personally. We gave our children this same freedom, and we started giving it to them uh, fairly early on in life, which leads me to the second uh, step of our second suggestion of how to allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace, and that is allow your children to opt out of some optional church activities. Now remember, when the whole church family, when the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. But when children have an option, we let our children opt out of some activities. Now, I'll just give one example. Um, there was a point in time when our church had something called a children's choir. And every year they did a couple of pretty significant productions, and it required a lot of extra rehearsal time and production time. And it, it was a good discipleship program. It gave children that were uh, interested in that kind of um, ministry an opportunity to contribute to the church. It also involved a lot of scripture memory and learning a lot of songs that stay with children for years. So it was a good ministry. We had a dynamic leader who was fully and wholeheartedly committed to it, and gave a significant amount of creative energy to the task. And for years, uh, my uh, oldest son participated, but when he reached the age of about 11 or 12, he just lost all interest in children's choir and did not want to do it any longer. And we had to uh, face a kind of a moment in our family of, was this something that was required or something that was optional? And it was difficult because uh, my wife was really close personal friends with the director but we ultimately made the decision to let our son opt out of being a part of this program. Now, when we did this, some people wondered, well, why does the pastor's son not participate? And we had to bear up to some scrutiny and some questions and some people wondering why we were making this decision. But we made the decision because 
Our son was not rejecting God. He was not rejecting church. He was not telling us that he did not want to be a Christian. He was simply saying, I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old boy, and I just don't want to go to rehearsals and stand up and sing in front of people. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. Um, I, 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 I'm, I, I, I don't want to invest the time in it, and I just want to find other options, and we allowed him to do that. Um, a few years later, our church had another kind of activity, which involved our, our youth group being uh, engaged in construction projects and in local uh, hands-on work to help people to improve their homes and uh, take care of needs that they otherwise couldn't take care of because of either lack of resources or their age. And our son became a very significant leader of that ministry in his teenage years. Why? Because he was fully engaged as a Christian and fully engaged in that kind of service and wanted to sacrifice himself in that way to extend God's kingdom. And so, again, you have to make wise choices here, but if something's optional, let's really make it optional for our children as well and not require them to participate in every church activity. And then a third thing that helps children to develop spiritually at their own pace may seem even more controversial to some of you, and that is allow your children to visit or even join other churches. This became an issue for us when uh, one of my children was in high school. Uh, my son said, hey, Dad, I, I want to go to a different church. And I thought, man, why? I mean, I planted the church where you're a member. We've been there for years. You know everyone. It's a great situation. He said, yeah, but I, I want to go to the other church. I want to be a part of their youth group, and I want to meet some people there. And, I, and then I said, well, well, what's her name? And, of course, there was a girl, but it was more than that. There were other friends that went to this other church from his high school. And so I said, you know, why don't you go there for a while? Now, I said, let's be clear. When the whole family goes, the whole, when the whole church gathers, the whole family goes. So uh, this is not an opt-out of church. He said, no, not at all, Dad. I want to go to their Bible study. I want to go to their Sunday worship. I want to go to their youth group. Um, I want to do just what I'm doing at our church, but I want to do it at a different church. And we let him do that over a summer. And during that time, uh, we actually saw some value in it because we realized that within a year or two, he was going to go away to, to college. And at that point, he had to go to another church, and he had to know how to join another church and really engage another church. And quite honestly, statistics are clear. Most children who leave for college, that's when we lose them from church membership and participation. So our son went away to a different church for a summer, but ultimately came back and said, I think I want to stay with our church, but I really enjoyed my time at that church, and I learned a lot by going there. And a few years later, when he went away to college, he very quickly joined a church because he'd field-tested what it felt like to go to another church, engage the people there, become involved at least to a certain level, and field-test whether he wanted to be a member at that place. And then finally, allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace by allowing open discussion and debate of spiritual issues. You know, nothing was off limits in our home growing up. I, I remember conversations that started like this. Well, Dad, I'm not sure there is a God. Another one, well, what's wrong with going to a strip club? And another one, why is God allowing this to happen to me? And another conversation that started with, why doesn't God ever answer my prayers? In our family, it was permissible to express doubt, frustration, anger, and to have open dialogue about what was happening spiritually in our lives. And with our children, uh, we didn't have a nice package to give them to answer every question that had a bow tied on top of it which presented uh, every solution in a syrupy kind of simple fashion. Sometimes we had prolonged conversations that took place over hours and sometimes over days going back and forth about an issue trying to help our children work through and look at every angle and consider every possibility and sometimes they made choices that were different than the ones we wish they had made. 
But we had that kind of open dialogue that went on in our family, and that helped our children to process and grow and develop without the pressure of having to simply assimilate or adopt what we believed without really making it their own. So here's some first help for being parents in ministry leadership. Ministry families are unique, but not as unique as you might think. What we teach other families to do, we must do. And we have to recognize that many other professions face some of the same kind of challenges we face, and we have to find a way to maximize our family life in the context of our ministry roles. Now, ministry leaders do, ministry families and ministry parenting does require some special uh, attention. So, at least these two points on this podcast encourage your children to be themselves by these suggestions I've made and allow your children to develop spiritually at their own pace, implementing some of what I've had to say today. Well, spiritual parenting by ministry leaders is a challenge, but one that can be met. It's a part of leadership. So in your family, start applying these principles and lead on.